Good morning, church. It is uh, great to be back with you again. Um, I've uh, always considered it a great honor to be invited by Pastor Tim uh, to come and share with you. Um, this morning, I'm, uh, I've chosen a, a rather unusual topic, uh, regrets, regrets. In fact, the title of the message is No Regrets. We're going to be looking at a person in the scriptures this morning who we seldom like to speak about, uh, and we'll introduce him from the pages of the Bible in just a moment. But let me ask you a rhetorical question, not one for you to answer out loud, uh, because I'm sure that everyone would want to jump up and, uh, and speak first. But here's the question that I want to set the stage with. Have you ever done something that you regret? Have you ever done something that you regret? Now, when I think about that question, there's a, a story from my childhood that immediately comes to, comes to my mind. Um, I have one older sister. She's five and a half years older than I am. And you can imagine that as her little brother, I did nothing but adore and respect and honor my older sister as any young little brother would do. Uh, she had the unfortunate experience of wearing braces when she was growing up. And one of the things that she loved to do was to torment her little brother as kind and as loving as I always was to her. She still found and took every opportunity to annoy me. And so it was one of those days when she was just in a mood to say some things, do some things to annoy me. And she had a particular name, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, but she had a particular name that when she really wanted to get me going, she would use that particular name and call me that to humiliate me and embarrass me. And I don't know why it was on that particular day, but she was in the living room and I was in the kitchen right next door. And she was laughing and calling me this name. And I, for some reason, I had a, a dish rag that was knit in my hands. And I walked from the kitchen to the living room. And as she was laughing hysterically, braces in full display, I wound up, I threw the dish rag as hard and as fast as I could. I'm sure that it was a 90 90 hour or so uh, mile per hour fastball uh, of that dish rag, and I hit her right square in the mouth. It was a perfect shot. Until my father heard muffled cries coming from the living room. And he runs down the hall, and I said to myself, Self, I need to get that dish rag out of her mouth. And so I ran across the living room, trying to beat my father to the living room, and I grabbed the dish rag unknowingly. It had embedded itself and intertwined with a lot of the wires and uh, rubber bands that held braces together in those days. I know today we have Invisalign and all kinds of other different options, but these were the ones that looked like heavy metal mouths. You know what I'm talking about? 
And so when I grabbed that dish rag, right as my father entered the room, all I heard was wires popping and rubber bands shooting every different direction. Well, my father did not find humor in it, and I had a penalty to pay, and so did she. Uh, we had to take her back to the dentist the next day and get her mouth rewired. But that stands out in my mind as one of the days that I regretted not what I did, but I regretted getting caught. Big difference, isn't there? I regretted what I did, um, not nearly soon enough. There's a character in the Bible, we don't like to talk about him, in fact, we usually only mention him about once a year, and his name is Judas. You know that name. Uh, none of your children are named Judas. In fact, when you were picking names for your children, moms and dads, uh, Judas never popped up high on the list because you don't name your children after Judas. But one of my habits in studying the scriptures over the years was I love to do character studies. And I decided that I would do a character study on Judas because I figured that it would probably be a short one and a fairly easy one because I thought I knew everything that I needed to know about Judas. However, that study turned into maybe one of the worst nightmares of a Bible study in my life. And it was for this reason. Everything that I learned about Judas became so uncomfortable to me because I saw those same traits and qualities in my own life. Now, obviously this morning, we don't have time to do the entire scope of the life of Judas. And so we're going to talk about, from Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 to 10, you can make your way to that passage if you'd like to follow along, Matthew 27, 1 to 10, we know the context of what has happened. We know that Judas became the betrayer. We know that he was the traitor of the 12. We know that he was the one who received 30 pieces of silver to take the religious leaders to the garden uh, and to betray our Savior. We know that much about him, but this Matthew 27 passage is a fascinating one that I'm hoping we can pull a couple of principles from this morning that talk about regrets and that we can come to a fuller understanding of it. So follow along with me. If you're in Matthew 27, I'm going to read verses 1 to 10, and I'm reading this morning from an ESV. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus and put him to death. They bound him, led him away, delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Verse 3. Then, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind, and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. 
And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went out and he hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. And so they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field, a burial place for strangers. And therefore, that field has been called the field of blood, or Akaldema, um, to this day. And then was fulfilled what had, been pro- what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they came and gave for the potter's field as the Lord had directed. I'd like you to take just a moment and pray with me before we jump into this particular passage. And we talk about Judas' remorse and his response and his rejection. So let's take a moment and pray. Father God, thanks for the opportunity to open your word this morning. Thank you for the, the joy of gathering together to be with one another, to hear your word, to look into it, not for the sake of being entertained, but for the sake of learning. We pray for the sake of application of truth to our lives. And we pray, Father, that you would cause us to think differently or act differently as we consider this subject of regret. And so this morning, Father, we ask for your blessing as we look into your truth. And we ask this for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So let's consider for a few moments, first of all, Judas feeling remorse. That's what the first three verses talk about. Judas feels remorse. Now, the narrative in this passage is vividly clear, and you're probably very familiar with the story um, even beforehand. The chief priests and the elders did not have the power, and they knew it, they did not have the power to execute Jesus, even though it was their decision and their desire to put him to death. That's why they had to deliver him to the Roman governor, Pilate. But the reality struck Judas' heart like a lightning bolt at that time when he saw Jesus being led away and taken to Pilate. Now, I'm going to make a couple of suggestions here for you to think about, but I believe that most people would think that Judas had full knowledge that when he betrayed Jesus, that he was betraying Jesus to death. I have a different perspective on that. I have a different opinion. I think when Judas betrayed Jesus, he thought Jesus was simply going to be placed under arrest. I don't think Judas fully understood that when he betrayed Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders, that he was betraying Jesus with the intention of the religious leaders whose desire was to kill Jesus, not simply take him out of the population where he had been so influential. I think this was a moment when the reality of what he had done 
actually struck him so hard, so vividly, that it brought about the regret that we begin to see unfolding in the passage. Now, verse 3 intrigues me in how Jesus' actions and his emotions are translated. And I realize that probably many of you here this morning and, and those who are watching from home, you probably have different versions of the Bible. And you may notice that this particular phrase of the, the thoughts and the feelings of Judas are translated differently. If you have a King James Version, for example, it says that he repented himself. The NIV says that he was filled with remorse or seized with remorse. The New American Standard says that he felt remorse. And as we read in the ESV, it says he changed his mind. Now, interestingly, when you study this passage and you dive a little bit deeper into that end of the pool, you realize in Scripture that there are two different words that talk about remorse or repentance. The first word, which is used here, is only used six times in the New Testament, and it is a word that is best understood as regret. A person who wishes they could undo something that they had undone, that they had done. It was what I felt that morning when I threw a dish rag into my sister's mouth. I regretted doing it. I wished I could undo it. I tried to undo it, but it didn't work. I felt sorry for what I did, but I had accomplished my purpose in wanting to silence my sister. But in that word that is used here in this context, there is an absence of guilt for the actions. It's only regret for being involved in the actions. Does that make sense to you? There was no, no guilt in the heart or conviction that I've done something which was sinful. I read a little story, which I think will beg this point. And again, those of you who are parents or even uh, children of any age can identify with this. Uh, a little girl was sent to her room because she was being disobedient. And her father and her mother explained to her that she could come back out when she said, I'm sorry. And so there she went to her room. She refused to say she was sorry. And so there she was imprisoned in her room for just a few moments until her much older, wiser brother, who was six years old, snuck into her room and he said, Jenny, he said, all you have to do is say you're sorry. You don't have to mean it. Have you ever encountered someone like that? Who constantly says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you know, you don't have to be a psychologist 
to know that they're mouthing the words, but it's not something that they really mean. Not too far into my marriage, my wife and I had invited a, a teenager to come and stay with us. We thought it would be a few days. She stayed a little longer, about a year and a half. But she had this habit. When she did something wrong, she would laugh and say, I'm sorry, all the time. Just laughing and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we never, ever believed for a moment that there was any sincerity in that apology. You understand that when there's an absence of truly understanding the ramifications of what someone does, it is simply a regret that I got caught, but there's really no change of heart. Now, there's there two words. I said the one word we've just described. The other word for repentance that we find in Scripture is almost always connected with repentance that leads to salvation. It's an inward change of heart that leads to an outward change in the way we live our lives. It's a change that is so deep within that it changes the way we think and act. Someone has described it this way, that this kind of repentance as we're walking away from God, assuming that God is behind me here, as we walk away from Him, that something, this understanding of sin becomes so real and so graphic in our lives that we do an about-face in our thinking, in our behavior, if we want to return to a right relationship with our God. Now, that word for repentance is used nearly 60 times and almost exclusively, as I said, with a repentance that leads to salvation. But that's not what Judas felt. Now, before we move on, I just want to pull a couple of principles as we'll do that as we walk through the passage. But here's a principle that we just need to drive a stake in the ground and remember this, that remorse does not necessarily lead to biblical repentance. In other words, we can feel sorry that we've done something. We can regret that we've done something. We can wish that we could undo something, but that is not authentic genuine repentance. We may experience the emotion of guilt, but that's just not enough. We can regret a word or a deed, but we all know that as soon as those words come out of our mouth and we're thinking, I should not have said that, we cannot retract them. Or we can say that we're sorry for them, but that evidence is only recognized if that action or those words are never repeated again. You see, more than regret, God wants us to be sure that we understand the seriousness of sinning against a holy God. 
But his remorse, as often is the case, the remorse of Judas did prompt a response, and we read that. He wanted to disassociate himself from involvement, and so what he does, it tells us in the Scriptures, he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders who were there, and he tossed the 30 pieces of silver back into the temple. Now, I'm not going to delay this morning, but I brought an object lesson along, along and uh, it's here for you to come and see and pick up and hold a piece of history. This is the half shekel of Tyre. This coin is more than 2,000 years old. This is the only coin that was accepted by the chief priests in the temple to pay the temple tax. This coin is unaffectionately known as the Judas coin. So 30 of these pieces of silver coin bearing the Roman eagle on the back, and you can see it clearly, and the head of Caesar on the front, this is an authentic coin, and every time I touch it, every time I hold it, I have to just pause for a moment and say, what if this was one of the 30 silver coins that Judas received? Come and see and touch a piece of history. It'll be here after the service, and I hope it'll still be here when I go home. <laughs> Let's keep moving. Think about verse 4 for just a moment. How does Judas respond to his remorse? In verse 4, what he says, just very straight point, right, right to the point, he says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. There again is one of the hints that leads me to believe Judas did not fully understand what was going to happen next. He realizes that he made a serious error. He does admit his guilt in what he did. He has betrayed the only innocent man who ever lived. But Judas makes two mistakes. Very simply, Judas confesses the wrong thing to the wrong people. I say, okay, what do you mean by that? What he does is his admission of guilt was a factual statement but it lacked the faith to substantiate it. Well, what was the fact? He says, I have betrayed innocent blood. That was a fact. Well, what was it about that confession that was wrong? He was confessing that sin to the wrong people. You see, the chief priest in the temple had no ability to forgive his sin, nor did they want to forgive his sin. They paid him to do a deed. He did the deed. He got paid, and now he wanted to give the money back, hoping that they would release Jesus. Not a chance, because they got what they wanted, but now Judas could not get what he wanted. Relief from his guilt. You see, Judas' perceived need was to relieve his guilt. 
But what his real need was, was to receive the grace of God. Now, let me just be clear about this for a moment. I'm not suggesting that when we commit a sin, that we shouldn't, if we've sinned against a person, we should confess our sin to that person and ask their forgiveness as well. But ultimately, all sin is against a holy God. And so there needs to be a confession of sin to God and to those who we have sinned against. Judas did not confess his sin to Jesus, and therefore he could not receive forgiveness for it. It's interesting, if you remember Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we're not going to take time to turn to it, but the verse begins, and you'll recognize it as I begin to quote it, if you confess with your mouth, remember that, Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth, you see, that's the factual part of our faith, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you see how the confession of a fact and the matter of faith are melted together? They're in harmony for authentic repentance to occur. Both are necessary. The confession of a fact and the embracing it in our faith, confessing it with our mouth, but it is a heart issue that has to be believed before God. What was the response of the chief priests and the elders? They couldn't have cared less. You heard it in their words. What is that to us? In other words, in the vernacular, so what? Who cares? Who gives a rip about what you feel or what you want to do now? It doesn't matter. But here's the principle that we need to take away from this passage and understand fully. A second principle this morning is that we are always responsible for our sin. I, we cannot keep passing that sin down the line by blaming someone else. Isn't it interesting that in the Garden of Eden, one of the very first things that happened after the sin of eating that fruit that was forbidden the first sin then was blame. Eve wanted to blame the serpent for the tempting her. Adam wanted to blame Eve when he ate the fruit for tempting him. And God says, no, there, there is no blame. We are always responsible for our own sins. David, after being confronted by Nathan for his sin with Bathsheba, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. In Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your eyes. Simon Peter, in, the, in a smelly boat filled with fish, realized that he was in the presence of holiness. And he fell down on his knees in front of Jesus, the only other person in the boat. And he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. We are always responsible for our sin. 
And then a third principle to latch on to is just the simple reality, and I know this is nothing new to us, but we need these reminders. Sin always has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Why? Because God is not mocked. The principle from Galatians chapter 6 is that we reap what we sow. We live in an agrarian area here in Lancaster County. It's hard to drive from any direction. That we're not reminded that farmers reap what they sow. That is a life principle, not just a farming principle. Judas brought consequences on himself and on other people. But our enemy doesn't want us to think about the ramifications of sin. Why? Because we have been programmed in our culture today to only think about the immediacy of the choices that we make. We want to do things immediately and make choices. And so, here's my credit card. And I could go on a spending spree just to get from here to my home. I've got to drive back down Route 30. I've got to drive west on 30. There are plenty of places today where I could stop and max out my credit card, and I could go home with a whole boatload, including the boat, of things that I purchased. But then in 30 days, there's a bill that comes due. And see, that's the way, unfortunately, sin works. We don't always see or feel the immediate consequences of that sin because the bills come in later. And on this day, what Judas was experiencing was the bill was coming due when he realized what he had done. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian and author, calls this event in Scripture the great double cross. I love that. The great double cross. In other words, Judas was double crossed. What does that mean? Judas betrayed Jesus, and the chief priests and the elders betrayed him. And so we come to our closing thought. Judas is rejected in verse 5. You know how the story ends. They refuse to take back the money. He feels even more shame in his disgrace. He throws the silver into the temple. He departs. By the way, parenthetical thought, this was the same silver now that they collected as temple tax, but when Judas threw it back in the temple, they said, oh, we can't put that back in the temple coffers because it's blood money. They had no scruples about spending the 30 pieces of silver to arrest with the intention of murdering Jesus, but when the money was returned, they could not use it for good. And so instead, what they did, as you well know, they bought a place. They bought a graveyard. And if you go with me to Israel today, I can point out to you where the field of blood is, Akaldima. Last principle this morning. Sin will strip you of life's most important and valuable possessions. Sin always does that to us. It strips us of that which is most valuable. Now, we all know, and it seems ludicrous to even suggest this, you have never gone to a funeral and seen the 
uh, seen the lead car, which carries the casket. You've never seen that hearse pulling a U-Haul because we take nothing with us. And you see, that's because the most important and valuable things on this side of eternity are not things that we can hold in our hands. So, for example, our confidence, our self-esteem, trust, respect, character, reputation, opportunity, joy, satisfaction, contentment, hope, friendship, purpose, passion. These are intangible things, but they define who we are and they make life meaningful and abundant. But sin will strip us of all of those things and take us in directions that we don't want to go. So what? So what do we do with these lessons about the life of Judas? Well, we just have to be reminded that regret can never remove the reality of our past. So it doesn't do us any good today to just simply sit or, or watch this or hear this and simply say, well, you know, um, I, I can't undo these things. What do I do? We can't go back and change history. We can spend our time and our energy doing anything that we want to do in the present tense, but immediately after it's done, it becomes history. We can't change history, but we can break the cycle of bad choices that we have made. A second so what for us this morning is regret's real remedy is repentance and reconciliation with God and with other people who we care about. A third reminder of the so what is count the cost of every decision before you make a choice. Our, our world wants us to only think about the present. We, we don't often think about the implications of the choices and decisions that we make. And fourthly, on an encouraging note, if you've made some bad decisions in the past, just like Judas did, don't allow the past to haunt you. I love a quote by Max Lucado. He said, how can you have dreams for the future when all of your energy is required to shoulder the past? Some people never can move forward in their lives because they're too busy living in the past. Claim the power of God's forgiveness and accept it. But understand this biblical truth. God will not be mocked. So I started with a question, and let me end with a statement where you can fill in the blank again to take with you. I want you to think for a moment, what is it that if you could do something over again, what would you do? If I had it to do all over again, I would. If I had it to do all over again, I would. Finish that statement. And if there are ways that you can go back and bring healing or correction to some of those things from our past that you are able to correct and change the direction of where you are. You can do that today so that you can live your life 
but no regrets. Live your life with no regrets. Will you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to learn from someone who's not one of our favorite characters in Scripture. And our intention today was really not to honor him. It was just to learn from him because there were decisions that he made that he regretted, but he could not undo them, and he did not try to correct them in the ways that he needed to. We still have the chance to do that right here, right now. Whatever it is that we might say in our minds to complete that sentence, if I had it to do all over again, I would. Is that still something that's a redeemable part of our life? That we can change, we can adjust. That's the matter that I pray that the Spirit of God would help us to wrestle with today. We ask this not only for our good, but also for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. A reminder, the coin is here. If you'd like to see it, touch it, you may, okay?